Hey guys, it's Teresa, the host of You Can Tell Me Anything, the podcast you're listening to right now. Hey, I'm very excited. I just want to tell you guys that we are about to hit our one-year anniversary of this show. About a year ago when I started this podcast, I would not have imagined all the great conversations I would be having with comedians, friends, new friends, meeting all the confidants. Um, Some of you have come to my live shows, which is so, so, so cool. Um, Someone came to visit me at a show in New York, which is so amazing. Uh, So really, really grateful for all the support I've had over the year and just very excited to keep going and um, bring you guys more content. Hashtag content is king, right? Uh, no. Oh, I'm trying to be sincere. It's, it's hard for me to be sincere, as you can tell. But I'm doing it. So um, I just want to thank you guys. Thanks all the confidants who've really been there along the way. Even if you're a new listener, if this is your first episode, welcome. Or if you've been here from the very beginning or somewhere in between, um, I'm grateful for your presence. That being said, uh, to celebrate the one-year anniversary of this podcast, I'm putting on a live You Can Tell Me Anything on Tuesday, April 16th at the Comedy Central stage in Los Angeles. So if you live in Los Angeles or if you're visiting or if you, um, I don't know, have lived close-ish or want to visit or I don't know, if you just happen to be driving through, you know, from San Francisco to San Diego and you want to stop by, uh, you are welcome to do so. I would suggest stopping by on Tuesday, April 16th at 8 p.m. because that's when the show is. It's a live show. It's going to be a little bit different than the podcast. Instead of one long conversation, I'm going to have a couple comedians tell um, confessions. And then I have a real therapist who's going to sit with me and unpack those confessions live on stage. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be comedic, but we're going to get real. Um, Some of the comedians I have on, Solomon Giorgio, Gabby Dunn. I also have stand-up from Jenna Friedman. And we'll also be playing some of your favorite games from the show. So it's going to be a good time, and it's going to be totally free. If you're interested in coming, you can make reservations at ComedyCentralStage.com. Last time I checked, the event for April wasn't up yet, so if, it, if you don't see it up, don't worry, it is coming. Um, you can also follow this podcast on Instagram at TellMeAnythingPod. I will definitely post the RSVP link when it goes up, but just know it's confirmed April 16th. You'll be able to make reservations as soon as they post it online. Um, you can also email me, TellMeAnythingPod at gmail.com if you're super eager and want to make sure you don't miss a ticket or if it doesn't you know sell out before you can get to it i will personally make sure you get a ticket so don't worry if you want to come i'll definitely make sure you can come i know i said this last week but we are moving away from patreon so if you didn't hear the announcement last week we are no longer going to be using patreon for this show patreon has been so great and i've really appreciated all the confidants uh, who've supported the patreon Uh, moving forward i don't feel that patreon is the right medium if you want to support the show you still can do that by supporting our PayPal. I have a PayPal now. It's paypal.me slash you can tell me anything. And it's very, very casual. Um, it's going to be super laid back. So you can come and go as you please. You can donate as much as you'd like or as never as you'd like. But um, just to help, you know, give you guys some rewards so it's more interesting. Um, if you donate, uh, every month I will send out a special newsletter to all, all the people that donate that month. So... If you donate, the next cutoff is going to be April 5th. If you donate to the PayPal, $5 or more by April 5th, you will be included in the newsletter I am sending from my email personally to you guys, which will include, um, this month I think I'm going to include some some archived old school email diary type things that I uh, dug up that are very interesting. I might include some old poetry that I wrote if I'm feeling brave enough. 
um, probably a video blog, um, and some some exclusive photos that have never been uh, posted, something like that, you know, TBTs, things like that. It's going to be real casual. I just It's just a way for me to connect to confidants that want a little bit more from me and uh, want to support the show. Since, as you guys probably know, this show is all out of pocket. I don't have sponsors. I don't have advertising. It's free for you to listen to. But uh, that being said, I do, you know, pay the engineer. I do pay my guests when uh, I've made enough that month on Patreon, and I'd like to keep being able to do that. So, you know, all the stuff that comes with having a show from, you know, hiring artists to make the flyer, blah, blah, blah. You guys know things cost money. This is America. So anyways, if you guys want to support the show, you can do that. PayPal.me slash you can tell me anything. Um, but if you don't want to donate, but you want to support the show in another way, you can leave me a five-star review on iTunes. Those really, really help me out. And I read every single one. Last week, I had a one-star review from someone who I think only listened to one episode and the sound was off. And you know what? He wasn't wrong. The sound was off, but I fixed it. And also, like I said, if I had better money, I'd have better equipment. Um, But no excuses. I fixed it and I took the note. So thank you so much, kind sir. Um, But if you do enjoy the show and you want to leave me a five-star review, that would really help you know, boost the the ratings and and boost my ego because I'm a delicate flower with a very very raw ego. Um, that being said, I want to read a couple good reviews and then we'll get on with the show. So here's a real fun one that I enjoyed. Um, I love listening to the show. It makes me feel normal. Everyone should listen in to sharpen their mental angles. That was by Steph951. Thank you so much, Steph. That's uh, really, really flattering to hear. Uh, here's a review from St. Rowdy, five-star review. Fresh, progressive, funny, great listen that would recommend to anyone with a sense of humor. That's very kind. You know, sometimes it gets so sad on this podcast. I'm like, am I still being funny? Who knows? Come watch me do comedy. I'm much funnier when I'm not talking about sad things. Okay, well, you know what? I could go on and on, but I won't. And uh, I'm going to start the show. So, yeah, let's do it. This is a great show. This was a lot of fun. My guest, Sarah Benicasa, so, so funny, so smart, so talented. Uh, We had a lot of fun. So, enjoy. You can tell you can tell her anything She's a real good listener You can tell her anything Hey guys, it's Teresa, the host of You Can Tell Me Anything. This is the podcast where comedians confess something they've never told anyone before. It's very exciting, a lot of stuff that's fun. It's loosely therapy-based, um, confessional, um, that sort of thing. But really, it's just a way to get to know people. Um, and I'm very excited to get to know my guest today, so I already know her, but you guys are going to get to know her, and I'll get to know her even better. Um, she's written a bunch of books. She's an esteemed author, very funny. Um, you should read, follow her on Twitter. She tweets a lot of gems. Uh, Sari Benicasa. Hello. Hello. And you, you, if you guys want to get her books, you can get them on her website, saribenicasa.com slash books. Her last book is called Real Artists Have Day Jobs. Yeah, yeah, She's yeah. very relevant. Um, you can also use, I mean, there's, you know, Amazon or you can order at your local bookstore, but a site that I really love is called IndieBound oh. because IndieBound was started kind of as a response to Amazon. Mm-hmm. And um, so often indie booksellers are the ones who really make or break a book. Yeah. Um, or slash what kind of floor space and real estate basically you get at Barnes and Noble, uh-huh. but um, which is also a great retailer, but the indies are great. And IndieBound will, you type in the book you're looking for. So like my memoir is called Agora Fabulous, Dispatches from My Bedroom. So you could type in like Agora Fabulous or Sarah Benagaza and you type in your zip code and it tells you any indie bookstores in your area. 
And oh. if they don't have it, usually they'll order it for you. Oh, so it's that's cool. Awesome. Yeah. So it's indiebound.com and I think also indiebound.org as well. Oh, cool. That's good to know. Yeah. Cause I know like people don't, we've kind of moved away from the traditional bookstores, but now Amazon's opening up. I know they're opening brick and mortar, which is so weird. Cause they put bookstores out of business. <laughs> yeah. Like you already listen, Bezos, I appreciate <laughs> what you do and I absolutely take advantage of it at the same time. Like let the brick and mortars do what they do. A lot of times they have to become community centers to survive. Yeah. So they become, you, you get the ones with the really great coffee shops or a restaurant yeah, or, I mean, I could go on about indie bookshops forever. I, I, I always sort of think that a complimentary or middle path approach is good to like almost everything in life. Not yeah. quite. I don't really believe in being too moderate in one's politics. <laughs> I, a little bit of moderation is good. But um, well, believing in something is good, and then uh, I think constantly checking in with yourself about like, do I still believe this? Why do I believe it? Yes, and that's that's good. Like, I yeah. don't think knee jerk extremism is ever good, but I do think that sometimes you need to take a, a very strong stand on something. For and sure. Sometimes you don't have to compromise, but in other, if we're dealing living in late stage capitalism, like <laughs> <laughs> compromise may be necessary. So um, yeah, some, we're talking about morals versus or like humanity versus like your business model. It's like right. two different things. Yeah. You kind of have to, you know, deal <laughs> with what you were dealt. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I came here to confess about my obsession with bookstores. Not true. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get into all that, um, I do like to start with a good confession and just help start on a positive note. Is there something you would like, good you would like to confess? Something good I would like to confess. Let's see. It could be something you did that made you feel good. Like example of like, if you donated to something you're happy about or had a great set of your comedian so really be anything oh just happy, man happy that's really fun brag. i started a digital detox a oh. partial digital detox okay. i guess which is that um for the next three weeks i'm not using instagram oh wow and i'm using twitter only to uh, promote something mm -hmm. for a friend or for myself. So for example, okay. when this comes out, I'll tweet about it. Uh -huh. um, if you had a book coming out or you had a show and you emailed me, which you should do if you ever feel like it, and go, <laughs> hey, Sarah, I really want extra butts in seats. Would you mind tweeting about this or something like that? Uh -huh. Then I would go, oh yeah, Teresa, of course. But otherwise, just me spouting off about politics <laughs> or or what I had for breakfast that day or talking to somebody about oh, which King's Quest or Space Quest character <laughs> is our favorite or stuff like that. Oh, you know, oh, you know um, King's our Quest? Engineer, my yes, sister loves yes. King's Wait, Quest. that's so appropriate that our engineer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got on um, dating apps. Well, I deleted Tinder after like five days because it was confusing and too <laughs> overwhelming. But um, I was on this one dating app and I said that I had King's Quest stuff. And when people talked to me about that, I got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> I've never played it, but now I got to check it out. It's fun. It's a single, like it's a single player um, role-playing game from, okay. I guess it it's on came your phone? Out. Well, it, it's, um, Is it no, the one that came it's old did school. A bunch of, um, it, it came out before, like way before you were born. Cause so oh, it wow. came out in, I think the first one was 82 or 83. Uh -huh. And then they did like King's Quest, I don't know, one through maybe seven or something. <laughs> and you played it on your computer. Oh, okay. Back in so it's like day. old school. I used to yeah. play um, games on my computer. I never had a PlayStation or Xbox or any of those uh, 
I, consoles. I was like, what's the word for it? Yeah, I never did either. I always play computer games, but I would order them from um, those scholastic book orders, you know? Yes. I don't know if they even do that anymore. Now I'm sure you can just literally Amazon Prime. Why would kids even need this? But uh, for the young listeners, I guess, I don't know how many young listeners I have, but book orders were these like pamphlets we had and um, you got them at home like once a month from your class and they, I mean, you guys had this too, right? Oh, absolutely. And we would have, yeah. my mom was a children's librarian oh, and perfect. she would help run the Scholastic yeah. Book Fair every You'd, like, year. You like circle the books you want and then you order them and my mom would write like a check and then uh, a month or so, it took a while, like a month later probably, maybe even more time. I remember you forgot about it and then the books came. And it was so exciting. They so would come exciting. to your school yeah. and Scholastic would make bank because yeah. they had this basically uh, almost dealership monopoly yeah. on public school classrooms and probably independent and private schools as well. I forgot about that. And my mom was so strict because there were some like, you could tell what was a junk food book and what was a cool book. And, and then there were some in between like fiction, like stories that were probably not necessarily good, but not bad, you know? But my mom was always very like strict about what I was allowed to read. Like so, there were one. I remember one time wanting one that said like how to be popular, <laughs> and I was like, I want this book because I want to be popular. My mom was like, you can't have that one. But she would let me buy like chapter books and like literature type books. Yes, and like, like where the red fern grows or yeah, roll of yeah, thunder, hear my stuff. cry. Or she really holes. wanted me to read Little Woman. I remember that. Oh, old and school. I, yeah, 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 the classics. But I refuse. I didn't want to read Little Woman because I thought the name was dumb. Because. <laughs> Now I am like, whatever, it's literature, but I was like, why are they little? But and <laughs> Yeah, then, that it also was odd. And also that book, I can still go off. I did a Twitter, before my digital detox of three weeks, um, I did this Twitter feed that or Twitter um, thread that went viral that was, which literary character would you murder <laughs> and why? <laughs> and it has to be a wholly fictional character. It cannot, oh, I'm not talking about the author. I'm not talking about the actor playing the role. I'm not, I'm talking about the in the book. yeah. Why would you kill this person? And definitely a lot of people came up with different characters in Little Women. Oh, okay. I feel like all the men in literature suck. Um, no. Uh, oh, a lot of them do. Because funny, when you said that, it was like, which woman? And then I was like, why am I thinking about the woman? Like, it's always, because they're always the tragic ones that die, you know, the woman. But then well, it's there's usually... that trope of the tragic lesbian, which I totally, in one of my books, <gasps> spoiler alert, <laughs> that definitely happens. Wait, there's one tragic, le- okay, to be fair, there is a tragic lesbian but there's also... Well, there's a lot of slut-shaming, too. And there's, like, a in lot books of... In in general, yeah. In, yeah, like, Tess of the Derby reveals. It's not necessarily slut-shaming, but there's, like... It's, like, a, a morality, like, warning. It's, like, who wasn't her fault, but she, you know wasn't careful and got raped in the woods and look what mm-hmm. happened and then and my friend Curtis and I talk about this with horror films yeah, that it, they're very they're deeply moralistic yeah, but it's still on it's not quite on her because you're supposed to feel bad for her but you're also it's sort of this warning of like don't be like her there's another like, um, well, she was just dumb or oh, thoughtless like a, but what a sweet person it's condescending yeah I think it's Henry Miller or no uh, Daisy something there's a short book I think it's Henry Miller don't kill me if I'm wrong. No, uh, it's I, one of the I Millers. Have, is it Arthur Miller? I think it's Henry Miller. I've published five books, <laughs> and I am less well read than the majority of my friends. I would say. Well, because you don't really. It's hard now to read. Most of the books I reference, like in terms of stories that I connected to, were from when I was growing up. Like now, when I read, it's for fun. But it's. I feel like the stories that like shaped my beliefs came from before and now I'm just reinforcing them. I don't know. I guess I could still change my mind. But this one was about um, this girl and I remember her being like, she's like really charming and like, you know, whatever, just like a 
what's the word? Not debutante, uh, coquette, whatever. Just a young coquette. Yeah. And but then it kind of ended up being um, so she would be flirting with all these guys, and then eventually one of the one of the guys. I'm looking she, it up right now. Librarian's kid. Oh, I'm yeah. like, we have a com- we well, have a library on our she phone. She started going out with him, but then, anyways, it ends in like he takes her down to this stadium at night where there's like these mosquitoes but she kind of knows that they're there and then so she gets this disease and dies and then at the end of it he kind of admits that like he he wasn't straight up murdering her but he was kind of like upset that she wasn't his like she was kind of just this flirty pretty girl it's daisy miller Miller. and it's a novella by henry james actually it first appeared in cornhill magazine not cornhole magazine (laughs) cornhill magazine in june to july 1878 so part of that serialized fiction craze i'm sure that 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 dickens really made bank from um and and i think was is largely credited as the kind of um uh originator of although i'm mm. sure there was lesser yeah the words per, or you get paid per word but that was a short one so yeah so. yeah it was um i it's think it's an was, easy read if anyone wants to read it i have to check it out it's well the problem with those because when i first start reading those books that like madame bovary is one of those when mm. i read it i'm like i like where this is going i like this woman being empowered and then it always ends with like, like well, it's immoral this is, like this you is don't, really dramatic don't someone be just like her yeah. someone walks into the ocean or something yeah yeah i mean sexuality it, it, uh, the way that women's sexuality is portrayed in literature written by men is quite intriguing and um particularly the older stuff uh i suppose it's not exactly intriguing so much as boring it's really the opposite <laughs> Like, yeah, yes. we get it. And even now, now, I mean, you, I, there are some people who are like, yeah, I'm not reading books by guys this year, which I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a, you know, those kind of constrictions around what I read um, this year, for example. Yeah. Uh, I think that's kind of a trend to announce, sure. like, I'm only reading fiction by women of color. I'm only reading fiction by non-cis-het white men. Yeah. Like, that's fine. I get it. But I think it's a trend. It's no, a trend it's, to announce it on social media. It's virtue signaling for yeah, sure. It's for, very like, okay, what do you want? A prize? Like, like great. I get it. No, that's great. You're I understand. You can also, also yeah. reject um you patriarchal bullshit in like, your day to day life. Exactly. Yeah. Like inclusivity doesn't have to be exclusive. I think that's always, I mean, I, I, yes, I get why people are doing that. So I don't want to be like, don't do that. Cause it's like, it's good that you're making a conscious effort, especially if it's people who've been like, oh shit, I've never read or whatever, a female author. Or like, if you look at a top 10 list and you're like, oh, I've never, none of these are women, then that might be a good moment for them to be like, okay, maybe I'll try to read, catch up, you know, make up the difference. But I, w- I would do a comparative literature year. Yeah. I think that would be interesting yeah. to, you know, if you're going to, go down some kind of a themed rabbit hole with your reading, I think it would be quite interesting to, you know, if you, I don't know, mix it up a bit, like read, uh, I mean, I'm, (laughs) I'm super um, uh, biased on this because Uh I wrote um, a queer teen young adult novel that was very much inspired by and a response to Gatsby. Uh, So it's called Great. And it came out in 2014. It's um, two girls in love or lust or what is it really? <laughs> That's great. And um, it was really fun to write. There's some things, of course, I would do differently and now writing it but, and be more aware about certain aspects. But yeah, um, I, I think that kind of thing, I always, and the reason I did it is because I enjoy that. I enjoy yeah. reading 
uh, a book, like the the sort of source material, and then reading a response to it. Mm-hmm. I like mashups. I like flipping things. I like, I'm, I find that fascinating. And it was a fun exercise. So I think that's a cool, like you don't have to read my book, but that's a, that's a cool way to look at it. Look at sort of modern responses yeah. to old, old older books. Or also just read some straight up sexist old bullshit and then compare <laughs> and contrast to something, some things that are more contemporary, like incredibly contemporary, yeah. 2018 or 2019 publications. Yeah, that's why I'm like, it's not about getting rid of everything. That's why I don't like when people are like, well, everybody sucks. It's like, well, they did at the time. They didn't at the time. They did it and they didn't. Yes, we're all aware that men, pretty much every man was bad back then because everything was bad. Or not bad, but like, you know, women weren't treated the same way as a whole. So, of course, if we're going to break down every single thing a man did, even great authors, like, yes, they have all probably, Paul probably been uh, guilty of some sort of like misogynistic action. Yeah, and I don't but, think it's too ex- excuse yeah. that to no, no, look not at, at it all. in context of what was appropriate at the time. I don't think it, like, I, I always, a lot of times I feel like, and I, I find this, I'm trying to apply this to my personal history as well, because um, I have found that uh, guilt and shame are good in very limited quantities, but they mm-hmm. don't necessarily help one to move forward and progress. I have found that with me, um, they are useful in small quantities, but they can keep me stuck. So I yeah. try to look at my personal history now and say, as well as I suppose sometimes, not always, sometimes history as a whole, and say... I am not excusing this, explaining this away, or giving it a pass, this behavior, but I am looking at it in in context to better Mm -hmm. understand it. I think that's fair. Yeah, guilt and shame are more like flagging emotions. Yeah, they have value for sure. I mean, You don't have to ignore them. It's not like, let's bury this and forget about it. But it's also like, don't give them space to like take over. It's just like, if I feel guilty about something, that means something underneath is going on. So then I... I can take that flag and be like, all right, thanks for the flag. Like, you know, dismiss, Mm -hmm. dismiss that part. But now like, what's going on here? Let's like, why do I feel guilty? Is there something else I'm not addressing? Like, am I not, you know, not dealing with something inside that's making me feel not able to cope or whatever. And so I, yeah, they're definitely secondary and important to use as information, but not to let take over. Yeah. I think guilt and shame are kind of the churning surface of the waters. And then, if you go on, you see what lies beneath a fun, a ridiculous erotic thriller. Uh, but if you <laughs> if you look underneath that, you can see the source of what it is. And you may need to apologize. You may need to mm-hmm. make an amends of some kind. You may need to make uh, recompense uh, or do yeah. penance in some fashion. But perhaps not. And in, so yeah. it's important to figure out why that happened, when it happened, what else was going on at the time. Yeah, that's well said. I was just um, talking about this with my sister, actually, because I used to f- still sometimes get this, but now I'm more aware of it. But when I first started going to therapy, one of the things I brought up a lot was how guilty I always felt. And one thing, like a one little thing I remember was I, my mom made me like bread and mailed it and like an overnight so that she was like, it'll last for a few days, so it'll be good. We should eat it right away. And it was so busy. I've always been so busy. It's like hard for me to do anything that's not in my schedule including eating like right. like something like extra like that too which is not a meal it's just like a nice snack that she made I would be like I already ate so I'll eat it later and just sat there for days and I kept being like I gotta eat the bread I gotta eat the bread my mom spent time and made it for me and I started feeling so guilty because when I finally like two weeks later I was like the bread's still there <laughs> it was I, green with mold, I, yeah sure. I had nibbled on it a little so I had some but like I just never it was a lot I didn't finish it and I lo- opened it up to eat and I remember biting into mold and it immediately feeling so guilty and just like, and it's so dumb. But at the time I was like, 
just imagining my mom taking time to make it and put it in the package and mail it and spend money. And then I was like, and I didn't eat it all. And I was so... I don't so, think it's dumb. I think it's deeply symbolic and informative probably yeah. about a larger Well, I was so sad. Thing. And the therapist said, she was like, well, what your mom wanted was to show you that she cares. And you're obviously seeing that she cares because you're feeling so sad about it. Um, and you had that nice moment when you got it. Did it make you feel good? I was like, yeah. She's like, okay, like then it's fine. It's she, You don't need to eat the moldy bread. Like You can throw it away. It's fine. And it took me a while. Now I'm still, every once in a while, will still catch myself being like, I feel guilty that person took time and gave me a thing and I didn't use it. But now I'm like, it's fine. That's a sign of me feeling guilty maybe of other stuff in my life. Like Maybe I feel like I'm not giving time to my fr- family and friends on a bigger level and yeah, that's and, and that's something I should deal with but I don't need to eat moldy bread you know so like I can dismiss that immediate guilt and then look at the bigger picture like okay how do I change my values so I'm addressing like oh yeah this, you know and you can understand that your mom as you said that she took pleasure mm-hmm. or, or you didn't say pleasure but I'm sure she took pleasure and joy it was like a tender loving thing for her to get to make that for you and you can always just fucking lie and be like, it was great. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, that's, that's what okay. I mean. I couldn't get over that. And I was like, I could just lie. She'll never know. She'll. St- we both will have enjoyed the moment that she made it for me and that she- I got it. That's a- and, and that's like, okay. It- but there it's are so these hard. little like <laughs> there are these little moments, I think, you know, there's a difference between, I would say, a harmless lie based in benevolence and a harmful lie like if you look at the intent sometimes people will say it's all about intent in the way that we behave or things that we say and I think it's it's not just that I think it is the Mm -hmm. intent but then we should project potential effects and see and it's that's you know creating we don't know what's going to happen in the future but we can take a moment out of trying to be present day to day and go okay if I lot if I lie about this in this way what are the potential effects Mm -hmm. and in that case I would think okay the potential effects are that my mom will feel really good or she might ask for follow-up details and I'll say, oh, I had it with so much peanut butter and like, that's it, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And and so that's okay. Whereas yeah. if the lie were that your mother sent you, I don't know, um, seeds to plant uh-huh. and she was going to want a follow-up with images <laughs> of your beautiful window garden, then I'd go, fuck, I guess I got to either plant these fuckers or I have to buy a fake window garden. Man, maybe I should just tell her I didn't get to plant them. Right. You know, because that was, if it, once it starts to take too much effort in scheming, it's like, oh man, all right. Yeah, and also that's not, I feel like that's not the, the point. When I really think about it, it's like the point isn't that she wanted me to have a plant. It was that she wanted to give me something. Mm-hmm. And so when you break it down that way, it's like, because I'm like, if I gave someone a gift and they were, st- and I knew they were stressing about it, I'd feel bad. So I'd rather yeah. they just were like, thank you. And then if they're like, you know what? I never got a chance to eat it, but it made me feel really good. And I was so happy that you gave it to me. And yeah, that's how I would I'd feel too. Like, I'd be okay, like, oh, thanks. cool. Yeah. You should have fucking <laughs> eaten my cookies, but that's awesome. I'm glad you appreciated it. Yeah. I guess I don't want to know if someone didn't eat the thing. I, I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just assume they throw it away and then just You've say, solved it. it. You didn't tell her. It's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I want to read a quick listener confession because um, we, we don't get them a lot. But then um, I, I said that on the last pod that we don't get them a lot. And then someone sent me one. Oh, that's cool. So um, here is, let's see, where is it? Oh, here we go. Okay. I actually hadn't read this before, so we'll see what it says. Let's find it. <laughs> I'm like, I hope it's good. Um, okay. Hey, you got, okay, you mentioned you had no confessions this week, so I thought I'd share. I haven't told anyone the truth of this story. Through kindergarten to second grade, my mom sent me to school with a hot pocket for lunch. 
Oh, this sounds like it might be related to what we I'm just talked about. already thrilled. I went to a very low-end private school then, so they literally did not even provide a school lunch at all. By second grade, let's just say I was sick of Hot Pockets. So I threw a fit. Uh, no, so in a fit, I threw my whole lunch away. But as an emotional kid, I said there was... While I, but as an emotional kid, I said there, maybe sat there, while everyone ate lunch and started crying. Unfortunately, then the principal walks by. She's obviously concerned, so she asked me why I was crying and where my lunch was. Oh, I'm not going to admit that I caused my own grief, so I tell her my lunch was stolen. <gasps> then she proceeds to make a point, make me point out who stole it. Now is my confession. I pointed out the one weird kid. Oh, no. Possibility in retrospect on the spectrum. Oh, no. <laughs> was the one who stole my lunch. Him, who probably two grades above me, couldn't explain why I was pointing at him or why I was saying he stole my lunch. It was his unlucky day that he happened to have the same Red Baron Hot Pocket flavor I had in his hand. Oh, my God. <gasps> he got suspended, and the principal took me to her office to make me a ham sandwich. My mom came and got me. It was a whole ordeal. To this day, I still hate ham sandwiches, but me and my daughter eat Hot Pockets all the time. Oh, my God. Oh. I feel so bad for that, that kid on the spectrum. I know. That's so sad. This is an example of how we hang on to more guilt than like when we hurt others. Like that probably was a bad day for him. And that is an awful thing to happen. But because he was in the right, I'm sure he was like, well, I was wronged. And now I will, you know, like then you move on. But then when you like have really done something wrong and it's your fault and no, you can't blame anyone else as in this case. Oh, yeah. You feel bad forever. (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah. There's some things I certainly feel bad about forever that I get flashes of memories. Yeah. And and guilt about them. Um, And it can be a real problem. Sometimes they pop up out of nowhere. And when I was younger, I used to hit myself when they would come up. Oh, man. Or I would like just do something to snap myself out of it. Um, Not like full on smack myself. But like it's like doing penance. Yeah, I mean, very much. Yeah, very much grounded not, in that. Like, like I said before, guilt is not a good emotion to have. Obviously, this was a long time ago. It seems like you've obviously know that this is a thing you shouldn't have done. But you know, I think it's time to let it go. I think you have a kid, and uh, it seems like you guys are you're probably having kids is a good way to like go through your own past and teach them, and hopefully they won't make the same mistakes you did. But yeah, you um, have to like forgive the shitty private yeah. school kid you were and yeah. be a good parent today and teach your own child differently and I'm sure that's what you've done also you're a kid that's the other thing too kid we we think of ourselves as adults when we're kids and when we make mistakes like that you're like oh that was bad but actually probably you're learning what's right and wrong like it's never great when it hurts someone else but kids should be allowed a little bit of like you did something wrong now you're gonna learn why it's wrong and if in this case never got caught, but you learn why it's wrong because you felt bad. And yeah, so, and you felt bad right away. I mean, you yeah. were a child who clearly had a moral center and you did something that a lot of children do, which is that we blame the easiest scapegoat. Yeah. And we are socialized to do that. We're not literally taught to do that usually, but we learn that that's an appropriate thing to do. And right away, you as a compassionate kid felt sad and yeah. freaked out about it. And then you have to cover cover it up and cover it up and cover it up. And I, you know, have done some shit in my day, older, <laughs> way past the age of reason, um, that I can, there's like one thing in particular I can remember in high school that I still feel bad about that, that yeah, I mean, you were a child. <laughs> it's okay. It is, uh, this is what I do like about the podcast is I've learned, because a lot of times people come on and talk about stuff that happened when they're a kid and that they just like hang, hung on to like that. And I really do think like, I, I don't know anything about this listener, but I this I, this confidant, but I think she is a 
I, my guess is she is well adjusted and a good person now because most of the time when people have stories like this from childhood, especially ones where they stick with them, where they're like, this was wrong and it made me feel bad and it happened as a kid, they grow up and have like a much stronger sense of oh, what's yeah. right and wrong because you literally learned it the hard way. Um, whereas when the people get shielded and there's like, you know, not all rich kids, but a lot of like in the case of this college admission scandal, you know, with Lori Laughlin and a bunch of other celebrities, when you grow up shielded from feeling like anything's wrong and you have no sense of, um, like internal punishment, like, mm -hmm. because you get rewarded for doing wrong things and cheating, you grow up and you keep doing it and then you don't actually learn. And yeah, then you and do bad things as an adult. Like Absolutely. <laughs> and that's one reason why I think the college cheating scandal got so big is that, yeah. yes, it was Lori Laughlin, Laughlin and her husband, the Massimo heir, uh, which is why they were able to drop a, a half Ugh. milli on this versus, you know, Felicity Huffman, who dropped 15 grand, but both both <laughs> doing the wrong thing. Um and then also all these people who aren't famous, but who are very wealthy. Yeah. And like, a, I'm, I'm sure, I haven't broken down the demo, but my, I'm sure it's an overwhelmingly white crowd of folks. But um, it also is that that's, that's privilege, right? That's privilege. That's the idea that you can just buy what you want. And the truth mm -hmm. is you can buy what you want in this country. Yeah. You, you can buy access. You're just supposed to buy a building or build a right. dorm. You're supposed to do what Jared Kushner's criminal father did. Um, and <laughs> well, then you yeah, don't there's get, also indirect ways. Yeah, there's indirect, like, yes, you can donate a building and that's like, technically totally above board and if your kid is good enough they'll, they'll probably get them in but then there's also like if you're rich there's other things you could do to get ahead like hire the best tutors like oh yeah take your kid on trips where they actually learn about the world like, give them experiences they can write about so that I mean, they have a great college essay expose them to culture and that all like needs money right so when you're talking about these college essays at the very basic level like what is the the 17 year old applying to college or 16 year old um, they're looking at potential and experience and point of view. I mean, you're just going to have way more opportunities to have these experiences if you've got money. Mm -hmm. And these people use their their privilege and their money to get their underqualified children into a brand name establishment. Yeah. And so these kids come out with the equivalent of like some really sick J's. <laughs> like they have like the, the absolute like coolest Jordan of a degree. And then because they meet other kids like that, they get the primo internships and they get the primo references and boom, boom, boom. That's how you get like the Simpson staff. That's how you get <laughs> the vast majority of people yeah. publishing in the New Yorker at a young age. That's how you get really early book deals. That's how you get a lot of, you know, young showrunners, young show creators. Like that's how you get a lot of this shit. That's why sometimes you it starts to feel like, you know, TV, film, et cetera, et cetera, popular culture to a certain extent in certain areas is speaking with one voice because mm -hmm. it's like all coming from the same feeder tube. And then obviously we can look at that and this is not, I'm not breaking fucking news here, but since the those people tend to be white, right? Like mm -hmm. it's when people are like, why aren't there more? It's always amazing to me when people are like, when you hear showrunners say, or white male showrunners, usually sometimes women, but usually men say, I just, we just tried to like look for like a black girl, but we just couldn't find any. Or like we tried to find a qualified Stu like person of color to be in our room well yeah because you're looking at the harvard lampoon <laughs> you're yeah. looking at like your friends and your dad's friends and your grandpa's friends from school and you're looking at your your point of view not yours they are point of view but the, these like male white showrunners and i do think like yes there are this is not everyone there i've met a lot of great people in entertainment who like really are trying to turn the tides but I think, oh for sure but yeah. overall the problem does start 
high up because it's like they already have a point of view. And then so they're, when they're interviewing, when the people who are all interviewing these new candidates are all of the same voice, they are going to be looking for someone who vibes with their sensibility. Mm -hmm. And Which, if you have the same references, you're like, yes, oh, yeah. shit, that country club was fucked up. Yeah. Or like, whatever, you know? But, but there's also a version of like, hey, bring in a new voice. Like, just because... If you, there's sometimes there, I mean, people say funny is subjective, but I actually think there are some objective funny, right? The Lucas brothers have been talking about this, about their theory of how to break down. And they, yeah. they're so academic sometimes in yeah. the way that they talk about stuff, which is really cool. And they talk about kind of how to break down a joke. And yeah, there is an objective, like, but beyond a certain level, obviously there's many layers of like subjective funniness, like how funny it is, why it's funny, whatever. But let's just talk about like people who are working comedians. In a, if a showrunner is like, I need to hire a black writer. And then they're like, I can't find any because they're interviewing people who don't vibe with them. They could also be like, hey, here's a bunch of people who have many followers and many people who would think they're funny. And I've talked to my friends who I trust and they think they're funny. Maybe... If I, like me as a white showrunner, thinks they're not ex making me burst out laughing, but I'm trying to find a new voice, maybe I just hire them. Because yeah, like if the proof <laughs> is in the pudding, so to speak, like yeah. I see that their shit works. Yeah, so, and I want and, and they my seem show like to reach a, a new audience. Maybe yeah. I should get their audience. And like, they <laughs> seem like a decent human being who I could stand yeah. being in a room with for like eight to 16 hours a day that's, or on set or whatever. Like, yeah, that's the most important. Like, do I vibe? But also, that's the crazy thing. People are like, we want new audiences. And then they're like, well, I don't really like get their jokes it's like oh well, yeah well maybe their audience the new audience you want gets their jokes and you should hire that person to get your new audience um but anyways the, i could go on and on about that but that's not what this podcast well, you is have, about i feel like you <laughs> un unlike me uh you have some real world experience you know in dealing with being the the person in the room who mm -hmm. gets looked at to be like is this true oh yeah <laughs> tell us give us your insight like any friend i have who's a, a, a person of color who's like often been in majority white spaces regardless of whether we're talking about i'm thinking of a friend who's a lawyer i'm thinking of another friend uh -huh. who, who uh writes for tv drama i'm thinking of like friends from different kind of realms and you know, I don't really have that experience except when I've been, well, the only time, and I, and it's, it's apples and oranges, I think, but when I've been like the one, the one comparison I could maybe make would be being the one woman on a lineup, <laughs> which yeah. has happened a lot in, in standup. And I don't do, I don't perform as much anymore. I still enjoy it, but yeah. I don't perform nearly as much as I used to. And being like, that's something that became interesting to say the least is being the one woman on the yeah. lineup over and over again. Like, oh, clearly they needed to tick a spot. Like they, yeah. this was this okay you it starts to be weird because you're like am i funny or am i here because they needed a lady or like what's right. going on well, it implies it's like they don't say it but the unspoken truth is like you were the last hire which i mean it may not be true but oftentimes with rooms and lineups when you're the only one you're like okay so they have one spot left and they realize they need oh i've someone. fully been a last yeah. minute addition when they needed yeah. a queer person or they needed um, a lady person for like very obviously clearly where they're like oh we've been looking they're, for uh -huh. and will just tell me and I'm like all right like I know I walk with a lot of privilege I get a I get a lot of breaks um that are unearned and things like that I also no, work really hard like I know that good, but, but what I'm not saying that people shouldn't be there when they're the last one. I'm saying they should be thought feeling. of earlier. Yeah, or like they should in be the middle. There. Like, what, yes. in the middle. Like. I think they should be there and they should have been <laughs> thought of earlier, which would then there, uh, leave more room for even more people. But what happens when it's the last person is because they fucked up and they forgot that they needed a diverse yes. room. Yes, no, and it's so obvious too when it's a festival <laughs> or something. Yes. And you're like, whoa, oh, what are all these? I mean, and a lot of, one thing I can say, and I know I'm going on about this for too long, I'm sure, but 
No. One thing that I do love about comedy is that when I first started, I remember being like, it makes for odd bedfellows, so to speak. It makes Mm -hmm. for, I remember seeing, and granted they were all dudes, but I remember seeing like a crew of dudes hanging out like, you know, at a table before their shows or whatever. Uh And I'd, I'd look at it and I'd be like, wow, this is a fairly, I mean, maybe it was just the clubs or the spaces I was in. It would be a fairly diverse group of dudes, granted. And most of them almost always were straight. Once in a while, Mm -hmm. a few gay guys. But so it wasn't super diverse, but I'd be like, they would come from different backgrounds. You'd have like a really rich white dude with like a a really poor white dude with a middle-class black dude with, you know, um, an Asian dude who went to college with a Latino dude who never went to college. Like there, you, it was all dudes and it was all like <laughs> straight dudes. But I remember very early on, this was like, I was, you know, I'm 38 now. So I was like in my, I was like 24, 25. Uh-huh. But I remember that that struck me because I, it wasn't necessarily what I saw on TV, but yeah. the actual working comedians, people becoming best friends with each other and laughing and helping each other through shit. Those people, I was like, they a lot of them came from and sometimes they'd talk about it once Mm -hmm. in a while and be like yeah well we but we both have we both want the same thing or we both have the same values or we both have we were both abandoned by our dad so Mm -hmm. we can they would make these really deep loving bonds that on the surface you'd see also you'd see other people walk by and look at the (laughs) table like confused like how did these people get together you know that struck me about comedy and I thought I thought that was cool. And I think that's cool in a wider sense still. I think comedy is a place where people from all kinds of different backgrounds and walks of life can come to relate because we share the stuff of our emotions. Like right now, mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had, I know that you have, because I looked at a, a lot of the folks you've had on, like looked at the, on, on iTunes. Um, I was like, you know, you've really had a diverse array of people, but they all come here to connect because we all mm-hmm. have secrets Yeah, to confess. We all have guilt and shame and, <laughs> you know, all those different things. Yeah. So th- what I'm saying is thank you for curing the divide in this country. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> it's all, all me by myself. Single-handedly, <laughs> Teresa Lee is, is bridging the Through divide. Through sharing. Um, well, talk, speaking of sharing, is there oh. anything you would like to tell me, Sarah? There is. You know, I was stressed about this before I came and I was late. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I was really thinking about it and I was doing my morning pages okay. for The Artist's oh, Way. Yeah. I'm on week four. I've tried it so many times, never finished it, and I'm trying to do it. Julia Cameron wrote this book called The Artist's Way, and it taught these workshops for years. A lot of people use them, and it's a 12-week program very mm-hmm. much based on recovery principles, and I'm an alcoholic, and I'm sober now, and so that appeals to me more than it did before I got sober. But um, uh, you know, each morning, there's different activities each week, but each morning you write three pages. This mm-hmm. is for anybody who wants to unleash their inner artiste, any discipline, but you write three pages, and you just barf it out. So I'm like, writing, writing, writing in the lift, like just kind of going, oh, what am I going to write about? And you just let it go. It's almost Uh like Victorian automatic writing where you were supposed to be channeling a spirit. But in this case, you're just fucking barfing stuff out. And I was like, I'm going to tell her about the year that I took plan B a bunch of times. And I thought it must must have been like five or six times. And then I texted a couple of my friends (laughs) and said, do you remember that year where you would say I used plan B emergency contraception like a Pez dispenser? How many times, can you ballpark it? Because I was drinking and my memory is not great on a sober day. So I was like, uh-huh. do you remember what you have? And my friend said, you took it at least 10 times. Wow. And I know she's not, I know she's not exaggerating. And I was like, fuck, you're right. I did sometimes twice in a month, which is ridiculous. I didn't go on, on the regular birth control bill. I took, I was drinking. I was fucking a lot, uh, clearly. And I took emergency contraception at least 10 times. 
in one calendar year? Um, in the space of 12 months. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. It was a lot. That Unnecessarily <laughs> a lot. Well, uh, it's expensive. It's more expensive than birth control. Yeah, because I was, yeah, I was buying it. You can get it over the counter, thank God, uh-huh. for now, knock on wood. Yeah, I have a friend who, after Trump was elected, bought a bunch of it and was like, I'm <laughs> stockpiling it for my friends. She kept being like, do you just want it, want it from me? Or like, <laughs> She's people, like people are like going, why aren't you on birth control? birth control? And there's kind of a complicated reason for that. But um, but yeah, like uh, I, I did. I, I would just, yeah, I had some unprotected sex, which... Thank goodness. Again, knock on wood, I mm-hmm. came out of um, alive and reasonably physically healthy, if perhaps not mentally healthy. Exactly. I suppose that that was, you know, a year that led me to eventually get sober, which is very good. Because yeah. When you, did what was the timeline of uh, that year, and then when you got so stopped I, drinking or you first know, realized you wanted to stop drinking? I guess. So it's kind of hard for me to remember exactly because it's a there's a real mushy period between I would say. It's like 2016, 2017, and part of 2018 are not so always so clear. It wasn't that I was drunk all the time, but it was that I was hungover a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I was hungover two to four days a week. And wow. so that was really the issue. And I wasn't drinking a huge quantity. There's this misconception that alcoholics have to drink a lot to be mm-hmm. qualified as alcoholics. But no, if you're if you're using alcohol in a way that negatively impacts yourself or other human beings, uh, you know, that's a pretty good indicator yeah. you have a problem of some sort. And some people just quit for a little while. Some people go cold turkey sober forever. Uh, I I have retired. Well, <laughs> I say they, retired hu- they hung up like my that. jersey in a hoe stadium, I guess, and <laughs> <laughs> rained down confetti made of plan B contraception. <laughs> but so I'm going to say, I'm going to say that it was, let's, let's look at like, I'd say early 2017 to early 2018. And uh, this was in L.A.? Uh, in in L.A., but I travel a lot. Well, because you used to live in New York as well. I just remembered one of the times. It's (laughs) all coming back to me now. One of the times was a... I was on Tinder for a week for girls and a week for guys. And I think I went on two dates. One of the dates was a day date with a guy who professed uh-huh. to have had a crush on me in college to oh, be thrilled. From Tinder? Yes. To Whoa. be thrilled to meet me in person. And we had a lovely lunch and then he never called or contacted uh, me again. <laughs> uh, uh, what a Fuck that dummy. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm sure I'm luckier that he did not contact me afterwards. <laughs> and... Then the other one was this guy who was such a sweetheart mm-hmm. who we just we had a one that we went out and we had pizza. We had a one night stand. We talked about hockey, not during sex. Uh, <laughs> and then the next morning I was like, I realized we, we, we both were from the New York metro area and both had um, really bad tattoos from the late '90s and early 2000s. So why not fuck? You know, I feel why like not you be? You and I love? have a similar spot tattoo because I have a California tattoo. Oh, on my you do? Arm. Yeah, I have North Carolina, have North Carolina on my arm. Yeah, I got it drunk at a baby shower. Oh, yours is way better. <laughs> I did mine sober. It was thirteen dollars. Oh, great! Um, I like. I think <laughs> I don't I, know if that's worse. I was. Worse. <laughs> I think I walked. This is a very North Carolina, Western North Carolina story. I walked. My, I was at my friend's baby shower. Was it the day? I think it was a baby shower. 
or the or the day after their wedding. I don't know. Let's say it was baby shower. And uh, I always say it's baby shower. Now I'm doubting it as I'm listening as I'm listening to myself. Like what? Uh, I walked. <laughs> I walk. I think I walked a few blocks to a tattoo joint and was like, not. I was tipsy. Uh-huh. And I was like, I love North Carolina. I went to. I, I finished school there, and uh, I said, can, you know, can I get an outline of the state? And I pointed to where I wanted it. Uh, on my bicep and he said you know do you want it on your inner bicep and I said no I want it here the (laughs) result is that I walk around with a North Carolina tattoo that I have to bring my arm up like a jaunty lad (laughs) put my hand on my hip so that it's it's you know it is horizontal North Carolina is a horizontal state but you can see it but because I can see why you picked there because otherwise it's hidden Uh, yeah yeah, I wanted people to see it and I was like I don't know how many push-ups I'm going to do or whatever <laughs> one does to have buff biceps. Sorry, I, I'm just going all over the place. No, so that, no, dude, okay. so that, was- that dude and I had a one-night stand and then we went to, um, what a nice guy, man. He's a nice person. Um, we went to Walgreens the next day. I was in New York. Okay, I was going to say, uh, my he other follow-up question was, are these guys paying for it? Are you telling them you're taking it? Well, with him, it was, he was one of the guys that I went with to get it the next day. So... Uh, him, he knew for sure. And he like made a joke that I don't remember what it was because I was hungover, <laughs> but it was cute and funny. And the pharmacy tech also thought it was cute and funny. And I thought it was cute Aww. and funny. It was just, I was just like, oh yeah, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so, this was I, like, um, but like plan B, I remember when I was getting out of college, uh, my early 20s in New York. It wasn't embarrassing. I remember it was almost like there's a point of pride. And also, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. good, good either. Well, because it wasn't, it wasn't the, I mean, I was raised Catholic and, mm. you know, uh, birth control was the devil and abortion was the super devil. Um, P.S. Well, <laughs> I'll explain the irony of that later. But, um, mm-hmm. but so, mm-hmm. you know, are you 486, which I think is pronounced, it was the, the French, uh, I think, code for it, like their FDA, I think okay. it was RU486. But uh, that was, um, I think it's called Mifibrone. I've got how to pronounce it. But basically, first name the, basis with these. Yeah, <laughs> my best friends. Well, I worked at Planned Parenthood briefly. Okay. Um, but so, uh, which I'm sure that somebody from Planned Parenthood listening would be like, girl, why don't you get on the pill? <laughs> so the difference between the uh, um, a medical or, or chemical the abortion, like which you can do at at home with a prescription, obviously, is that the the concept anyway is that it it induces a mm-hmm. miscarriage, if you will. So it induces like you know cramping and bleeding and shedding of the uterine lining. Uh-huh. Whereas uh, with emergency contraception, if you it, it, it is a heavy dose of hormones. It's what doctors prescribed for years when the pill first became legal. Um, first in the sixties, and then in the seventies, you were finally able to get it without your husband's permission in most states. Wow. Oh yeah, you had to get your hus- your husband's Crazy. permission. <laughs> doctors would just if you were like oh the condom broke or oops whatever the doc- doctor would just prescribe a full um, round of birth control. So you would take all your pills um, uh-huh. from the little pill all packet. At once? Yes, you would take them all at once. A supercharged, oh, wow. yeah. Jesus. And by the way nobody should ever do that without you need to go to your doctor this is absolutely not medical advice this is not healthy this is not something you should do also any doctor would tell you any nurse practitioner would tell you any nurse would tell you you should not be taking emergency contraception as your primary method of contraception what i did was the act of a desperately sad (laughs) troubled depressed, active alcoholic. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do not do what I did. 
I can laugh about it because humor is one way that I deal with issues, but this is absolutely not a prescription for behavior. It is not good. There's a reason I have nine months and six days sober today. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, it's like, because I was, it's interesting because I've only ever taken Plan B once, but I remember it being like a, I don't want to say cool because that's like kind of like saying the wrong no, thing. No, it is at first. But you're like, it, there was I something, had sex. Yeah, there was something about <laughs> it, especially at that age and, and specifically living in New York. And so being like, you know, the sex in the city vibe. That mm-hmm. was the era where everyone wanted to be like from sex in the city. And when I was like finally yeah, out your college and dating, years. Oh my yeah, God, that must have been wild. In New York, yeah. And so the feeling of like when I did take Plan B, there was a kind of, it was kind of like cool. Like, well, here I am. Like, I gotta get Plan B, guys. Sex and the condom broke. Oops, like, I oh, don't well. want a baby. we fucked <laughs> so hard. <laughs> Whatever. That's just what I do. <laughs> and emergency contraception works in theory by um, if you have, let's, if you have not ovulated mm. that month, it prevents ovulation, so it prevents the ovum from being released. To, and so, therefore, no, uh, even though, though the sperm is like yeah. hanging out up in your junk for a minute, like a day or two, <laughs> I don't know. I forget. I used to know these things. Um, you know, no, the, the ovum cannot be uh, fertilized. Yeah. And the theory is if, if the ovum has been fertilized but has yet to implant on the, the lining of your uterine wall, uh, emergency contraception will ideally uh, prevent that from happening. Yeah, I think it makes your body think you're already pregnant, right? So it can't Yeah, implant. I think it, it, I don't know if it induces like a Something thickening like of the yeah. of the lining or what it does, but yeah. So that's the d- the difference between, you know, emergency contraception versus the, uh, you know, the pill. emergency contraception does not ideally induce, you know, any kind of pain or cramping. You might get a yeah. headache or feel a little nauseous from the heavy dose of hormones. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, man, I mean, regular regular birth control was so intense that yeah, a lot of women, kind of what mm-hmm. I, I got off it finally because I was getting so depressed and my mood swings were crazy it was like and then as soon as I got off it because I talked to enough people who were like oh it's the pill and then even after that I was like okay I guess it's just the pill but I kept taking it and then I just broke down crying in a parking lot one day and then I was like I think I gotta stop taking this mm-hmm. it, it's like driving me crazy it has a real effect on people and everybody is different we become our own science experiments in yeah. a sense and so uh, I have a friend who just got the IUD, got the yeah, copper one, now. and yeah. yeah, and she it's very it's way better. It's really it's helpful local. for it her. It doesn't affect my moods at all. Oh yeah, there's. I mean, so here's here's the 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 kicker, if you okay. will, which is that I, I ended up never getting pregnant, which is great. Good, mm-hmm. better for any you know baby I would have popped out quite frankly because <laughs> I, have I 10 babies by now out of 10 babies <laughs> pregnant all year um and also good that I didn't end up being feeling tied you know sure to any of these people right were any of these people um people you ended up having relationships with well if you one of them I they're was, all different people one of them was uh, I was dating and he I, I think they were all different people who knows? Um, one of them I was dating and just for a short period of time, and he turned out to be bananas. We actually went to, so thank goodness that did not work. <laughs> we went to, we had to go get plan B uh, on, it was Valentine's Day. Oh, wow. Romantic. And the guy <laughs> at, what was it? Ralph's or Gal? It was Vaughn's. It was Vaughn's in Silver Lake. Uh-huh. Uh, Vaughn's. Uh, go see, hey, when you <laughs> go to the Vista Theater and <laughs> beautiful Los Feliz slash Silver Lake adjacent, stop by Vaughn's and uh-huh. get 
get your emergency couch reception from a guy. The pharmacy tech joked about it. He was like, Valentine's Day, what? And I was like, oh, my uh-huh. God, you are violating so many HEPA rules. So you're like, we only had reservations for two. So. I was like, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, you fucking dumbass. Um, note to pharmacy techs, don't follow follow your training and don't make fun of people who come in for plan right, B. You don't know where someone's coming from. Well, yeah. Also, he was specifically trained to not do that. I mean, any sure. any pharmacy <laughs> operating and worth its salt has been, you've been trained not to do that. He was just a fucking idiot. But um, so was I, clearly. So uh, yeah, that guy I was seeing, I was dating for like a month and then we had a conversation and decided to pull back and that we had mm-hmm. gone too fast and that was cool and to take a little break. And I sent him an email that I was like, I just want to say, I really loved having that conversation with you i think it's so healthy we can talk about this needing space like doing our own thing not being so hyper boyfriend girlfriend right away and he like went nuts i don't know if he had an episode or what but he texted me and was like or i didn't hear from him for a few days so i was like texted him was like hey was that cool did i offend you in some way and he was like i can tell you just want to be my girlfriend i know you're obsessed with me and i was like i was on a work trip i hadn't (laughs) talked to the student like a week i guess at that point and i was like what what i'm sorry what I, you mean the conversation we had about <laughs> space and i just making sure and not being committal anymore like you what and he was like i know you just want to be with me and i and i can't take it and i was like what, what? no like we i literally it was so bonkers that's so crazy but yeah. that's so good that you're you're you say stuff as it comes up because like even what you said about um texting to be like hey was that cool I it's something I'm struggling with now and I've gotten better about like bringing stuff up uh, in the moment when I feel it but sometimes I'll wait like three days and then be like hey I was mad about that thing you said and I'll still do it now because I'm like I'll eventually get around to it but when I don't hear back from people I, I often will just be like I guess it was fine um, but hearing you say that I'm like you can do that you can just say Hey, was that cool? Did that? Yeah, we give it, <laughs> give it a beat. You? Like, don't yeah. do it right away because, of course, people need time to process. Sure. And I need time. Sometimes I don't know how to feel my feelings right away. It takes yeah. me a little bit. So I'll need to be like, I got to think about this for a day and yeah. have a feeling. Well, feelings change. That's the thing. Because, yeah. like, I'll do that if I'm really mad. Like, I've had to do that to my boyfriend before. I've been like, got really mad about something that I was like, he didn't do this on purpose and it was beyond his control. But it hit me at a certain time when I was like, I'm just going to be pissed about this for the day. Mm -hmm. So then we were supposed to hang out. I said, I can't hang out. I don't really want to talk about it. Just give me a day. I'll cool off and we can talk tomorrow. But it freaked him out at first because he's like, what's going on? Oh, yeah, it would make me anxious. I'd be like, well, I I want to know right now. But I was like, just trust me because if we meet up now, I'm going to want to yell at you. And and then so he finally, this was early on in the relationship and he finally was like, okay. And of course he was very anxious. But then when we hung out the next day, I was just like, okay, I can talk about it. I'm not mad anymore. I'll tell you why I was mad and blah, blah, blah. And And then he was like, now I know. Next time when you say you need space, I'll just give you space. Because I was like, good, thank you. Because now, That's if we really had met up, I would have been like, I fucking hate you. I can't believe it. Like, and I knew I was going to do that. And I knew I was being irrational about the thing. So I was like, I just need a day to think about it. And then I'll calm down. And then I could talk about it. I have a friend who tends to blow up. Mm-hmm. And I know that when she needs space, she needs space. Yeah. And I, I see her self-regulating um, and doing a really good job of it. And I always find that very impressive. Yeah. Because unlike me my thing is to repress the anger <laughs> and not talk about it not deal with it which is its own issue you yeah. know and can lead to some gnarly after effects that well are let's talk cool. about your upbringing because you mentioned you're religious you're raised catholic well i was raised catholic but uh my father was a birth control manufacturer my father worked at a birth control Whoa, so factory this was, you were just following the family family uh in, industry, a, family. in a sense but they didn't make emergency contraception <laughs> he made i mean the pill the regular birth control okay. pill is how 
They made pill, they made uh, vaginal contraceptive foam, they made vaginal contraceptive film, they made foam? diaphragms. Mm-hmm. Like sponges? Uh, it's foam. You could load the sponge with it, yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's foam with an Inoxanol 9. So you load the sponge up with it or or you take a cervical cap, which they also made. Yeah, anoxanol 9 is spermicide. So these were all barrier methods. Also, I mean, when you add anoxanol 9, we are talking about a chemical method, but we're not talking about you taking a pill, right? Yeah. Is this legal now or is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. When you have when you get a condom with spermicide, that's treated with an anoxanol 9. Oh, okay, so it's just okay, so it's just di- like a diaphragm, basically, kind of. Oh no, nonoxanol nine is um is the substance. So but it's the sponge. Part? The the sponge you just could load it with. There. So you would take the sponge and you would put the um, foam on it. Um, or huh. I think you could also use a gel if you wanted to. You would kind of load that up and shove it up in your <sighs> pussy and pop it, it up real close. You give to finger yourself, man. Oh my it's like God. a real OB tampon That's situation. So you just like grabbed your like lower stomach, like <laughs> oh my God. Stuff that they sell to women. It's so oh, crazy. Yeah. Cervical cap, same oh thing. God. Cervical cap is kind of like a mini diaphragm. Yeah. And it, you know, creates the suction. They still sell your... douches and they're just like, oh, douches bad are terrible. Douches are bad them. for you. <laughs> still... Yeah, ladies, your business is not necessarily a self cleaning oven, but, you know, the best thing you can do for it is uh, leave, leave it, it alone. alone. Keep it, yeah. you know, clean the outer area with some gentle soap you, now well, and again. That's the biggest thing. Whenever something's funky, the, your diet's off. Yeah, it's your never, diet's probably like, off. So It's eat, never like some dust got in there. Like it's, yeah. it's very good at protecting it. Yeah, it eat a low stuff. sugar diet. Yeah. Sleep maybe without underpants or if you're <laughs> rocking undies during the day, you might want to go for a breathable white cotton. Whatevs. Just so, like don't fuck with it too much unless you're having but also you know if you're having sex oh, like yeah. that can then the lead go- to the yeast guy's infections penis can, uh, their chemistry can affect yours oh but you then can once throw you get each used other to off. it yeah i think it's really easy to get um bv from a new dick I oh think. absolutely that's like yeah. a very common thing but also yeast if you're like bv yeah. like you yeast, know yeah. for sure utis whatever oh <laughs> god i have a friend who got a uti every time she had sex with a new dick i was like yeah. jesus i, oh, I had a uti once i don't know how because i was meeting a lot of new dick at one point in my career. <laughs> and um, I only had a UTI once and it was not from sex. It was from um, dehydration. I was drinking so much coffee. Uh-huh. And this is my doctor. I was like, I haven't had sex in months. And my doctor was, I was like, so I can't have a UTI. And my doctor was like, you are a 35 year old woman. You absolutely <laughs> can have a UTI. How much water did you drink today? And I was like, what? And he was like, exactly. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So drink a lot of water. Anyway, um, <laughs> so my dad worked for a birth control company. I just wrote a comic about it in this in this um, anthology called Comics Comics, which came out from Starburns, um, which is like I wrote something, Patton Oswalt wrote something, Jackie Cation wrote something, Rose Montefeo wrote something, and a, a few That's of awesome. us. Yeah, it was cool. And we wrote these little stories, and I wrote about um, it was called The Pill and Stuff. It's probably available somewhere. It just came out from Starburns, but. Um, yeah, I uh, so my dad, my I had an, a great uncle, so my grandfather's brother, mm-hmm. his partner of mm-hmm. many years, uh, his gay partner of many years, and my I worked there at one point as an intern. My brother interned there at one point. So this was the family business, uh-huh. right from the from the factory on up to the executive suite. I had family members who were working at this birth control factory and had worked at this company since um, some of them since the seventies. How did that? Uh, so were your, were your parents just like 
kind of casually religious because it isn't birth control kind against of. Catholicism. Yeah. Oh, it is. Okay. Oh, they were casually religious because they weren't homophobic. They weren't yeah. transphobic. That's good. <laughs> um, which is all shit that I, I absorbed in church and uh-huh. really believed for a while. And I know we talked about that a little bit at, at lunch the other day. And um, my way of rebelling against my parents, who were fairly moderate individuals, now vastly more progressive than they used to be. But sure. they really, it's if you think your parents always get more conservative as they get older, it's actually not true. <laughs> my parents have gotten more progressive. And um, so it, my way of rebelling was to go super Catholic yeah. when I was younger. And to be like, birth control is... I, I sat my dad down when I was 13 <laughs> and was like, we need to talk about what you do for a living. Wow. Because it is murder. Because I was taught that anything that prevents sperm from meeting egg is <laughs> tantamount to murder. I mean, That's abortion crazy. is for sure murder. Oh, man. You know, for sure, for sure. Like getting an abortion in the first trimester, getting an abortion in the first month yeah. is demon murder and is you're going to hell. you, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. That's crazy because like... It's just like those two. I mean, I used to do a joke about this, but how birth control being like against birth control and abortion just doesn't make any sense because it's like one is preventing the other. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's like I mean I don't know. It's crazy because it's like yeah, if you don't want to have to have abortions, maybe you should use birth control. Oh, the Catholic Church <laughs> is actively at fault for uh, uh, the uh, among the you know sexual trauma of hundreds of thousands, if not millions over the years, probably countless individuals uh, over the centuries is also like actively a part of the spread of HIV AIDS, particularly in areas like sub-Saharan Africa. Like, you know, but when they were anti-condom for decades, (sighs) condoms were bad. That's condoms crazy. were bad. Well, Be- what they're really saying is like sex is bad. And so they don't like all the stuff around sex. Women's, sex- sex, women's right? sexuality is bad. Yeah. But sex then people are still having women's- it. So then they're just, that doesn't make sense. Cause they're like, just not, they're not. Oh, it doesn't make sense at all. Well, it yeah. is, it is. If you can shame, we're talking about guilt and shame. If mm-hmm. you can convince somebody that they are bad and, and you have the solution, you can make a lot of money. And the sure. Catholic church yeah. has made a huge amount of money doing that over the years. Huge yeah. amount of money. Love the art. It's blood money, paid for with blood money. That's absolutely what it is. And so I was, but I was really buying into all of that because my parents had a very kind of American mainstream Catholicism where they were like, eh, whatevs, (laughs) like, you know, first trimester abortion, like probably that's all right, whatever. Like we don't even (laughs) really think about it because it doesn't apply to us. A lot of people don't think about the implications of how they vote or the money they put in the collection plate at church or what have you until it affects them directly. Right, and there's also this fear too from the pro-life camp of like if you're pro-choice that means every baby's gonna die like they're like oh uh, like i've heard that too it's like oh you know you, well you don't want babies to live it's like yeah it's hysterical oh, yeah, you do some thinking. babies i want a lot of babies to live i just also want to give people a choice when there is no when the best version of their life is this and so I, I want to give a kid a chance to be wanted, yeah. to be cared for, because like those forcing it is those people so aren't providing universal free daycare. They're not yeah. providing universal exactly. free vaccinations. They're not providing universal free kindergarten. They're not um, working to end the you know school to prison pipeline. Yeah. Like that's it because. They're not thinking with real logic. They're in a cult like yeah. mentality. They're caring about. They're like, oh, I care about like my the baby's like i'm like what have i died but then they're like well this person who can't take care of the baby are you going to take care of that baby and they're like no no welfare no none of this mm-hmm. so it's like do you really care about life because you're not 
supporting any programs that actually <laughs> keep people alive. Yeah. And I, w- I was in it. I was in it. Yeah. You know, I was in it past the age of reason. I was in it yeah. into my teens. And then I, thank God, started to have friends who had different life experiences and different lifestyles and different sexualities that yeah. helped me to A, eventually come to terms with my own bisexuality, but B, start to understand um, you know, kind of the different realities that different people face that, that I, as a relatively privileged kid from rural New Jersey, Mm -hmm. uh, with a middle-class family with a nice backyard and, you know, that I didn't necessarily face. And so, but, but having been in it from childhood up until my teen years, like I get it at the same, I get what, and that's the weird thing. You feel like you kind of walk into worlds, I think when you've been in something that is very much a cult-based do not question mentality and then you've gone into the wider world and like stepped like you know uh, out of the matrix so to speak yeah it is very it's interesting because you can at once i mean I, I think it probably gives me more compassion and empathy ultimately even though i express a lot of anger about it because it helps me understand yeah and you have that, that extreme side because there's all i mean my sister's catholic and there's people obviously a lot of catholics who don't practice that but i think overall as an institution they they do have a long way to go um, yeah, and there are a lot of Catholics trying to affect change from within yeah. the institution, and even people creating their breakaway sects. There are also sure, yeah. to give shout out to a lot of nuns. <laughs> I yeah. worked in, in my college years. I worked. Um, I volunteered at a migrant outreach in uh, the Low Country in South Carolina that was run by nuns. All of whom I'm pretty sure were closeted lesbians, <laughs> except for maybe one. I was working with like five different women, but they did such an incredible job. They were providing uh, things that our government wasn't. They were providing yeah. free OBGYN care, free dental care, and we were working in creating a soup kitchen and clothing closet, and and also English language lessons and free meetings with um, immigration lawyers to help them try and find a path to immigration, which was obviously very difficult. So I feel like nuns and nuns (laughs) also have been a lot of times over the years, victims of Mm -hmm. the fact that priests get, get the power and nuns have to do the grunt work and they're in there. They're in this, like one of the reasons a lot of those nuns are so mean is because they (laughs) have to do everything. They have to do it. Yeah. They (laughs) They got to do everything. Yeah, that's great that that you had that experience. Um, I have a question. When you were um, uh, taking Plan B, were you against abortion at the time? No, 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 no. Okay. Uh, no, no. I I became pro-choice probably uh, sometime in my early twenties. I would say mm-hmm. maybe late teens, early twenties, because I you know had experiences with friends who um, had abortions. Mm-hmm. I met people who had abortions. I learned more about. Um, actually what, uh, you know, an abortion is versus the like nightmare images I was shown of fetuses and of babies being like slaughtered and things like that. Um, and so that was, you know, that was interesting. That was very informative. Oh, that took a while, you know, for Mm -hmm. me to kind of start to actually understand what was, what was going on and what was possible. I also had a couple of friends who, um, who had miscarriages, who had stillbirths. I had a miscarriage when I was 25. And these different experiences helped me kind of... you had a miscarriage? Were you trying to be No, I didn't know I was pregnant. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's the only time that I know that I was pregnant in my life. And there were times when I was on the birth control pill and times not. But I think because I had this connection to the concept of taking daily birth control, like taking a pill or getting the shot or whatever, Mm -hmm. because that was intertwined with my family and intertwined with like anger and, Uh and love and 
not sexual feelings. Sure. I think that's part of why I used to talk about how there was this one aisle in the groceries or in the pharmacy that I would go down. And it was so many products that I like grew up with because my dad worked there (laughs) and made these things. And I didn't like, I didn't, I grew up, we didn't attach any sexuality to it. It was just like he made widgets. So I have a (laughs) weird relationship to birth control itself, whereas plan B was different. So all this kind of complexity that I've talked about, I think came to a head, um, you know, in that year when I was just like drunk, lonely, sad, and um, having too much sex. You can't have too much sex, but it's too much. (laughs) Anything's too much if it's not good for you. And it wasn't good for me. In a, yeah, in a coping way. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. just sex in an, I'm sure it was empowered and fun at times, but like the idea of like falling on something because you're trying to get away from Yeah, something. some of these guys were lovely people. Some of them were mm-hmm. not, you know. <laughs> I wasn't a lovely person mm-hmm. at, throughout consistently, I would say. But some of them were lovely. Some of them were garbage town. Some of them were somewhere in between. And yeah. I think that I certainly wasn't at my operating at my best at all but um yeah I can't believe I can believe I truly can believe now that it's it was that many times but no wonder I like got sick a lot that that year (laughs) and was having trouble sleeping and felt weird I was dosing myself with mega hormones that's crazy unnecessarily like all the time yeah that's that is a lot to put on your body oh yeah and once you start to recognize the the person at CVS who's there at like after midnight <laughs> at your local <laughs> CVS. Shout out to the CVS next to Whole Foods 365 on Glendale Boulevard and Silver Lake. Spend a lot of time. <laughs> and once you start using different pharmacies, because you're like, I've gotten to know that one pharmacy tech way too much. Like That's like me at a Taco Bell drive through <laughs> in Echo Park. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know what? You should never feel ashamed of that because those bean burritos are delicious. I love them. I still I get the chalupas, you know. It's really like overpriced. Do they but... still have a Mexican pizza? I don't know. Back in the 90s, man. <laughs> Things come and go at Taco Bell. They really do. Taco Bell tries to keep abreast of the, the times. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting. I remember one time, like, because I still have an attachment to the... um uh, the smell of incense mm-hmm. at mass and certainly like the sort of the atmosphere. I remember one time going into a church and just sitting because I do think that there are, there's a holiness about these places, right? Mm-hmm. I can be like very angry, obviously about the structural um, issues with the Catholic church and the things that, that employees of it, that church have done for years and years. But I can also appreciate that most people who go in there are there for good reasons Mm -hmm. and that it feels cleansing and that ritual is important and that there is a kind of holy feeling that arises when a group of people are in a room being meditative and that that's beautiful. So there was a time I remember when I went into a church and just to sit and was like, man, like, you know, I didn't feel unwelcome or unhappy at all because I feel like God is, if you believe in God, God's with you when you want and maybe when you don't want. <laughs> um, and I just kind of sat and was like, what am I, how do I fix this? What do I, what am I doing wrong? Like, it's not working. Yeah. You know, all the things I'm running the same program and it's not working. So how do I change this? Um, and it was a lot bigger than of course, taking plan B all the time. 
Right. And removing the alcohol was just the, that's just the top layer. Mm -hmm. It's like scraping the icing off the cake and being like, wow, this cake is, there's some layers of shit in this cake. Yeah. Well, the alcohol is coping with something so that there's something else going on that you're dealing with or running from. Yeah. It's the thing. It's like the, when we talked about guilt and shame, it's the thing on the surface. Sure. It's the flag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go underneath that with hopefully guides who can help you. And look at what that is. So suffice to say, I haven't taken plan B in quite some time. Uh, I and I, you know, have definitely slowed down my choice, like my sort of sexual behavior, I would say. Mm -hmm. And and, you know, slowed down um, quick emotional bonding with people, too. Like no more like we're together for a month. Oh, that didn't work out. Bye. Like that's, you know, not something that I'm interested in anymore. And, And if I feel myself starting to you know, feel the pull of those old behaviors, not booze, but the other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really helpful because I have friends I can talk to. I have a therapist who specializes in addiction. Um, there's meetings, obviously. Yeah. I can talk about it on celebrated podcasts. <laughs> Hit subscribe. Leave a positive five-star review. <laughs> wow, I should pay you to do that. Apple um, Podcasts, but really <laughs> everywhere. Stitcher, maybe. Yeah, I don't wherever know. Wherever you get your podcast. Um, wherever you get your podcast content. I am, I'm so glad that you've um, like had that self-growth and been able to look back. I think that's really uh, important, and, and thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you. I, um, I am, too. I, you know, every day I'm still growing and changing and hopefully if in a year I'll be able to <laughs> listen to this podcast and go wow I've really evolved on that issue yeah. or I'm more compassionate than I was when I was recorded speaking in this fashion <laughs> because that's that's kind of always what I'm hoping for that's good we're always growing I want to end with a quick game Ooh, fun! Game. this is uh, based on your book the real artists have oh my gosh that's very kind sort I'm of. Excited. It's, it's about celebrities and their <gasps> love it love it love odd, it uh, odd jobs they didn't come up with a creative name let's call it celebrities call it, you call real it. celebrities have odd jobs yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I love learning um, about them. These are all questions, multiple choice. So mm-hmm. you just have to pick whatever you think is right. And they're all questions about celebrities and an odd first job they had. Okay. All right. Number one, which A-list action star once worked as a dancing chicken for El Pollo Loco on the primetime <gasps> TV show of The Street Corner? It wasn't on TV. I'm it was so just jealous. a dancing chicken on The Street Corner. Oh, my gosh. I'm so jealous uh, of this Is it person. A, Brad Pitt, B, Tom Cruise, C, Chris Hemsworth, or D, Mr. Incredible? It was Chris Hemsworth. Close, but the answer is A, Brad Pitt. What? Yeah, Brad Pitt used to be the dancing chicken. I mean, not I the, which is one of many, I'm had sure. Had protected, loving, monogamous <laughs> sex with that chicken. <laughs> I would have been like, bring the suit, oh, buddy. Oh, my God. I just yeah. had El Pollo Loco the other day. I bet he gave it his heart. I mean, like. Uh, you know. He probably delivered yeah. on <laughs> all fronts, Brad. Like, yes. You, you need to be in the pictures. Um that, get that chicken in the movies. Oh, I was at a birthday party that he was at once. Oh, really? Wow. Yes. And I remember there were a lot of celebrities in the room and then for some reason me. And <laughs> um, and so we, I was like, um, me and my friend Rachel Evans, uh-huh. Rachel Sam Evans were there. It was Adam McKay's birthday party. This, oh, nice. would, this would make sense that, okay, yeah, that Brad Pitt would be there, right? So there's like a top tier, like mega level of famous people. Then there's like famous, but like probably people that like we would like say hi to at sure. a UCB show that we would be like feeling nervous. We were booked on it with them, but we would be like, cool. And we'd be like, oh, they're really nice. Cause we met them once. Uh-huh. So forevermore. And then there were like <laughs> people who were like known. And then there were just like normals, like me and uh-huh. Rachel Sam Evans. And so, well, Rachel Sam Evans is kind of um, you're internet not, famous. You, yeah. You're like, a, you've we're, done a lot of We're stuff like norm, norm but I know what you plus. mean of like going in. <laughs> I know what you mean of like, cause comedy, we kind of live in that space where we can go back and forth between yeah. feeling like we blend in oh, and sure. also being like, 
now I'm the star. And you're like, yeah. You and so have- we, well, we were like there and Rachel and I were like, oh my God, look at the famous people. We were like, <laughs> we need to chill out. And we were like, look, we would have like eye conferencing. And then I would be like, Rachel, did you see that famous person? She'd be like, yes. And then I, but one of my favorite things at a party like that, where I'm completely out of place, but it doesn't matter because no one notices me is watching the lower tier famous people and how they clock the higher tier famous people. Sure. And the one person, like people huh. are trying to be very cool about certain famous people but the one person where all the heads turned and it was like a whoosh of air was like brad pitt yeah I and i was that. like you win brad pitt you <laughs> win you don't have to be cool around him because he's brad pitt brad pitt won i was like brad pitt you won Every- <laughs> yeah like all the like like legit people who we would all be like oh my god i can't believe they're here we're like it's brad pitt and i was like wow la <laughs> is weird and then like we got ignored by some man who was smoking cigarettes and not being nice to us and then we left it was a really fun night sure. it was a fundraiser like for a, a, a non-profit to um <laughs> Oh God, what are they called? I should shout them out and I'm forgetting. But anyway, Adam okay. Adam is great um, and does great things for the world and cares legitimately about climate change and about ending <laughs> voter suppression. I Happy think you have to birthday, end with a, a compliment. <laughs> yeah. Okay, number two. Which friends used to sell timeshares over the phone before they made it big Ooh. in their 10-season billion-dollar money-making show? Was it A, Matt LeBlanc, B, Lisa Kudrow, C, Jennifer Aniston, or D, Bubbles Elephant from the Unlikely Friends video where he's friends with Bella the Black Lab. Oh my God, I love that. Never Aniston because she went to the Rudolf Steiner school on the Upper East Side. So I feel like she didn't need to be doing them them phone calls. I'm going to say Kudrow. It was actually Jennifer Aniston. What? Yeah, she for a hot minute would sell them on the phone, but she said Where's she was- Where's that Steiner money? <laughs> she said she did a bad job because she kept trying to talk them out of it because she felt bad. Jennifer Aniston, yeah. I admire you very much. And I am sorry I assumed <laughs> that you never had a different job. Huh, maybe it was thing. a method thing. Um, okay. Maybe. Which diva pop queen got tired from the, uh, sorry, got fired from the Times Square Dunkin' Donuts for squirting jelly donut all over customers? Was it A, Mariah Carey, B, Madonna, C, Cher, or D, Chris Gaines? Oh, Chris Gaines as in uh, yeah, Garth, Garth Brooks. Brooks. Secret um, his, his doppelganger, his <laughs> other. I'm going to go with Madonna. I feel like Madonna would, would do that. Ding, ding, ding. You're correct. Madonna would be like, You're fuck right. you yeah. all. She's I don't give a like, shit. I'm going to some jelly. Okay, final question. You're doing pretty good on this, so let's see if you can get this for the win. A blagger is not a blogger with swagger, but in fact, someone at an amusement park that encourages people to go on rides. Wow. I think I feel like I need to hire someone like that, but opposite. Just to tell people to get out of lines uh, and take them with me to Disneyland. That's a great idea. Um, okay, which prestige movie actress once worked as a blagger at an amusement park? Was it A, Meryl Streep, B, Judy Dench, C, Helen Mirren, or D, that old scary woman from The Shining? <laughs> Dench or Mirren. Oh, my God. Um, oh, the, the the naked chick in the bathtub. <laughs> I'll go with Streep. She was a Jersey girl. I bet she did it in Jersey. It was the Helen Mirren. What? Yeah, she worked as a blagger. I didn't she even was know like, that was a job, but it is. She in line. Everybody just came. <laughs> yeah. That's so Yeah, hot. I imagine she was always old. Um, like, well, timeless, ageless. She was always sexy she old. She was always sexy mm. old. Yeah, I can't see her as like a child look uh look up pictures of her when she was in her 20s though yeah, I thought it, she was hot it's fucking insane yeah, yeah it's She's still hot it's disturbing uh well thank you so much for coming on sarah thank you so much uh, where can people find you well you can find me um on twitter at sarah j benincasa you can go to sarahbenincasa.com where you can find my events and stuff you can hire me to write for your television mm-hmm. comedy or drama uh you can where else i am oh i have a podcast called where you from which is 
anchor.fm slash where you're from, which I will have, I'm going to have you on oh, I where that. I have thus far talked to such individuals as Ben Stiller, Adam Pally, Christina wow. Yang, and many others, Jonathan Colton. Uh, did I say Christina Yang? Did, uh, I meant, oh my God, that's so funny. Christina, I said, okay. Christina <laughs> Hutchinson and Jenny Yang. Oh, and I yes, think I combined, combined it to be my favorite TV character of all time, all time, who is Dr. Christina Yang, ha. a.k.a. Sandra O oh of Grey's Anatomy, oh. who's not on that anymore. That's so funny. I made funny. Christine, Christina. If Christina Hutchinson and Jenny Yang have a baby. Both great people. Christina. Yeah, Christina is the co-host of Guys We Fucked and Jenny is an I'm awesome stand-up and writer. I'm doing in uh, April. Oh, that's yeah, so yeah. cool. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to I'm hear excited. it. That's I love great. Them. Oh, yeah, I love them. They're so great. go, you know, subscribe to anchor.fm slash where you're from. It's also on Apple Podcasts. But more importantly, subscribe to this podcast. <laughs> and are there sponsors of this podcast? Buy all of their things. Uh, there are not yet. Yeah, we're not there yet, but maybe one day. But you can follow us on Instagram at Tell Me Anything Pod, um, and follow me on Twitter at Larissa T. And we got rid of, rid of our Patreon, so but now if you want to tip or you know donate or whatever, uh, PayPal's out me slash you can tell me anything. That's it. Thank you. Thank you.